You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Man, thanks, Pastor. Well, it, uh, just realizing it's almost two weeks until spring break, which means it's almost been, yeah, this is awesome. The students are like, yes! Um, but that means it's almost been a year since we've been online as a church. And a year, almost a year ago, we launched literally in uh, a moment's notice on an evening where I was getting, I was asleep because I was on and ready to wake up at midnight to drive to Alabama. And I get all my phones going crazy at 11 p.m. going, what in the world? And Nathan Heemstra is trying to get a hold of me. <clears throat> and I wake up and then it's this transition to be online. And I say all that not to go, man, this year's been horrible. But I want to actually say in the midst of all the chaos of this last year, I'm grateful for what God has done. I'm grateful for his presence in our church, in our lives, his protections, his movement, uh, and that doesn't end. And we're hopeful to see where he continues to lead us in that. And I think that, that connects to the passage that I get to dive into in Luke 21 this morning. And even the worship this morning that Jamie and Tiffany and Nate, that you guys led, just such powerful truths to the sense of being in the presence of Jesus and not being led to wander away. We're gonna see that come out of the passage this morning. So part of my story a little bit, I've grown up in a Christian home that's just been my journey. I, my parents are missionaries, pastors, and I've, you've heard me, if you've been here long enough, uh, you've heard me talk about that, of waking up in, in the pews because I slept in the pews while my dad was preaching. He was that good of a preacher. Um, that's not true. Dad, you're an awesome preacher. I love you. Um, but there's a sense of this idea that I've always had, but that all started for me really understanding and knowing Jesus when I was five. Um, and in that moment for me, and I'm not gonna go into great detail about it, but it was basically literally that dark and stormy night story to where I was afraid of what the chaos was going on around me. I was living in New York. There's a huge storm kind of brewing and going through the town we lived in. And I was just afraid as a five-year-old kid. And my mom walked into the room and just comforted me as a mom does but did even more than that. She told me about Jesus. She gave me an understanding of, of who Jesus was in the presence of Jesus that I did not have to fear when, then, when I was, had his presence with me. And that, that night was very vivid. I can, I can explain all the details, including my cardboard Donald Duck uh, drawers that I had in my room. Um, but there's a moment that I felt peace when I made a decision that night, I said, Jesus, I need you in my life. And it wasn't just, there wasn't this depravity moment for Jason at five years old that I understood my great depravity of sin. I was afraid and I understood the peace of God when I felt the presence of God in my room that night. Um, and trust me, I've understood the depravity of my sin over the years to follow. But it's interesting now as a dad that I, I find that same moment with my own kids that I, I walk through um, their moments of chaos, their moments of storms, and find myself speaking uh, peace and hope of Christ into their lives. Even with one of them, there was a season that both Tara and I walked through with, with her that every night it was this fear and this afraid 
uh, focus on something that's going to happen. A tornado was going to land on top of our house and we're going to have a Dorothy moment. Or that the thunderstorms that would shake the windows from time to time would come into our house and do something. So we find ourselves, during that season, we found ourselves praying against storms and, and anything, any kind of harm and, and tornadoes. And we were being very specific. And, and she asked for the specificity in that, which was always a little interesting to me. I'm like, I just, I, I mean, I guess it could happen but am I really gonna, like, Lord, don't let this tornado hit 4027, 147th Street. But there was a point that that's what she desired. And even to this point now where we are, that, that has passed, it's, it's subsided quite a bit as, as aging and maturity has come into place, but there's still that desire, hey, dad, you forgot to pray for this. And this idea of this prayer that we've always prayed is, Lord, may your presence be clear. May we always be reminded that you're here with us no matter what, and that you love us and you're protecting us, so Lord, so protect our home and protect our lives and, and, and prepare us for the day to come. That's essentially the prayer that, that has become such a standard uh, a point for our bedroom at night when we pray with our daughters. And it's a beautiful thing, but it all comes in this idea of, of fear and being afraid of our chaos that is ensuing around us. Now, for us as adults, as a five-year-old or five to 10-year-old or whatever it may be, I think as adults, we're not much different. All right, we, we may not be afraid of storms or afraid of uh, the tornado whipping through, or maybe we are, but, but for the most part, we have some kind of an understanding of that fear. And so we understand that that's something that uh, a big storm could be something we could be afraid of, but we also understand the, the reality that we've gone through a lot of these things before. But yet we, we have these other things in our life. Maybe it's our finances, maybe it's our marriage, uh, maybe it's our business that we're trying to start or we're trying to maintain in the season. Maybe whatever it may be, maybe it's just raising our kids and like, how are we going to do that really well? And we allow this chaos to go into our world and, and this fear, this afraid uh, perspective kind of rises up in us in these moments and we can give into those. Now as adults, we may not cower under our blankets and our sheets and embrace the teddy bear. Maybe some of us still do that. Anyone? Jason Dean. Um, great. I do the same thing. Like my daughter has this huge teddy bear and you go and you get, and there's something about it. Even as an adult, there's that warmth of that presence, whatever. I won't talk about my own little problems. Um, but there's this reality that I think sometimes as adults, what we do is we'll shove it into the closet and we'll say, it's just not real. We'll ignore it and we'll try to just let it go. We won't even address the fear or the anxiety that's in our life. And if any of us ever have had struggled with anxiety and fear and you stuff it in the closet, the closet just gets full. It gets so full at one point in time, the closet doors come breaking open. And those moments are incredibly difficult. But there's also times where we just, we run away and say, forget it. If this is what life's gonna throw at me, then I'm out. And we wander away and we just give up altogether. And no matter how we respond to these different things of the chaos is around us, here's where I want to encourage us. And I really do believe that God is going to show us in the story of what Jesus is telling his disciples in today's passages. That amidst the chaos, his presence is there. When we lean and step and live in the presence of Jesus, things change. And guess what? There's going to be chaos along the way. But God has that in his control. This isn't surprising to him, although it may be surprising for us. It's not throwing him off, although it may be throwing us off. And so if we can step into his presence and we can have those moments where we recognize that when Jesus he brings peace to our chaos, there's this process of life that comes along, but if we stay in his presence, peace will remain. And there's great things to come as a result of staying in his presence. 
But guess what? The world seemingly is still going to fall apart around us. And so how do we prepare ourselves for that? And so I love, uh, we get to dive into a lot of verses this morning, and so buckle your seatbelts. But I love how Jesus unfolds this. And I'll be honest, as I was reading through this and preparing for this, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is heavy stuff. And it's, honestly, it's scary stuff at points. And I can only imagine what his disciples felt as he was going through that. But he brings this, this present story and it's what I've seen come out of it as I've studied it so powerfully, but yet you really have to look to it. You have to see it in the midst of it. So let's read together. Uh, Luke 21, we're gonna start in uh, verse five and we're gonna read all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 38. So y'all ready? What? Yes, we ready? You ready at home? Yes, all right, let's go. And while some were speaking of the temple and how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign and when, when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Don't go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great, be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven, But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up from the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before the kings and the governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and a wisdom from which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict." You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated for all by, for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that it is the desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out of the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. I wanna pause right there. And just as we got almost halfway through, for all that is written, God is in control. All of the stuff that we're walking through right now, this is such a small little one, two, three, four, six word phrase that he sneaks in right in there. This has already been written in the history of time. I've got it in my hands. I'm in control of it all. So let's not miss that. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against his people. Verse 24, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of the nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then 
they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. There's another quick fun moment. He just unfolds all of this hard stuff that's happening. Let me tell you a story. (laughs) And he kind of turns the tone a little bit. Look at the fig tree and all of the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 34, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with the dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap, For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mountain of Olives. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. What a story to tell. To be standing in the, in the place of, of uh, Jerusalem, uh, at this point, if you go back to Matthew 24, uh, some of this is happening on the Mount of Olives that Jesus is unfolding and telling of the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem and eventually the coming of the Son of Man, his second return. And so you look at this and you begin to wonder like, man, what this must have been like to be in this conversation with these people. It all started with them looking up at the temple and, and, and admiring what it looked like. And so let's talk about the temple real quick because the temple is in its second rebuild. There's, it was built once, it was torn down, it's been rebuilt again. But as they're looking at the temple, it is a beautiful uh, piece of architecture. Not only is it strong and it's, it's stable, it's secure, but when Herod came into rule, he went and kind of did his own DIY work on the temple and he added gold and he added uh, all of this marble to the point that even from a distance, it looked like there was snow sipping, sitting on top of the, the, um, the temple mount. It was so brilliant and beautiful and adorned with, with all of these uh, the, the incredible engravings and, and the gold layers that were there. This place was something to see. It was so revered even by the Jews that they would swear by the temple and it was basically them making their oath by the temple. It became a place that when they came to and they they had to make a commitment to something, they would swear on the temple because of, of the holiness of what it was, but then it was also beautiful to look at. And it was blasphemous even to speak against the temple, to do anything to wrong the temple, to harm it, to to scratch it, to key it, to try to push it over, whatever it may be, it would have been seen as blasphemy. So here's Jesus in this place, and he starts talking about, yeah, this is a pretty amazing space, but it's all gonna come torn down. So in that moment, Jesus could have been held for blasphemy. He could have been pulled aside and and beaten and taken to court right at that moment because in some ways he could have been interpreted as as bringing blasphemy against this temple, this holy place. And this isn't really going against Jesus' mode of operation up to this point. He's not the status quo. He's very countercultural in how he speaks. But he begins to tell this story about how the temple is gonna be broken down brick by brick. 
And this place that we come and we, we swear by, that we, we look at with admiration and awe, that is all gonna come tumbling down. Stone by stone is gonna be stripped apart and all of its beauty is gonna be gone. And he's unfolding how even in those moments, there'll be armies that'll be surrounding Jerusalem. That the, the city that this is so holy to us will be attacked and destroyed. And in the midst of all of that, you as disciples, you as followers, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be found. You're going to be put to death. You're going to be put in prison. Your life is not going to be seen worth it for any of those people that are attacking this place. And so this, this building that you, re, you revere, this city that you believe is holy, is all going to come crashing down stone by stone, brick by brick. And if you're anywhere in the middle of it, when you start to see some of these things happen, get out, like try to get out of here. It's going to be that bad. And guess what? It's not just going to be these armies. These people are going to come and try to tear down this city. It's going to be your brothers and your families, your friends and your relatives. They're going to come against you to persecute you. Well, goodness, Jesus, you got anything good to tell me? Is there anything good in the midst of this, this prophecy that you're unfolding? Is there anything here that we can kind of hold on to with a glimpse of hope? And it's tough. I can't imagine being the disciples and listening to Jesus talk through this of, of the destruction of this place of revere of, of all these wars and this persecution that is gonna come upon us as we choose to follow you, if we choose to commit ourselves to be devoted in a relationship to God, to see Jerusalem, this holy city, brought to ruins and that we lose it. We lose this place that we love so dearly, that we're so devoted to. And it's amazing to watch it all just come apart in just a few words of Christ. And what does that mean in the midst of all this chaos that's, that's gonna come? Like, when is this gonna happen, Jesus? How's this gonna all come to time? And, and he wonders, and then he moves into this, this moment that he starts talking about uh, when he will return to the earth. And he really hasn't unfolded fully to their understanding that he's gonna go away and then he's gonna come back again. So he's unfolding this truth about his future return that they're still trying to grasp and understand. And in this, in Luke's account, it just comes so quickly and it's so there, Matthew 20. Matthew gives a much more deeper account if you want to dive into that later. But he drives into that and you wonder sometimes if you read this, if you think all of those events are the same thing. Is this all this going to happen and Jerusalem's going to be torn down, the temple's going to fall, and then Jesus is going to come back and those are the signs. And I think sometimes in our modern day, we can read this passage and we read it that way. Is one continued narrative that there's one big event and all Jerusalem's going to fall apart and the temple's going to be torn down and then Jesus is going to come. Let's look at that real quick because Jesus is really talking about two different events. He's talking about the temple in Jerusalem and he, he makes this divide in understanding that um, right at the end of verse nine. Do not be terrified for these things must first take place. And then there's a, a little phrase, but, at the, but the end will not all come at once. There's two different events that are gonna happen. The end's gonna happen over here, but this destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem will happen first. He's prophesying about what is to come for this place. About 40 years later, Rome destroys the temple and takes over Jerusalem. And literally, they move in. They surround this, the city. They, they break in and they, they take over the power of the city. And guess what they do to the temple? They literally dismantle it brick by brick, all the way down to its foundation. 
40 years later, probably and likely in the time of some of their listeners' ears. They're gonna experience and see this. Jesus was prophesying a future event. And I love that we get from our standpoint to look at the word and to look at history and see all the chronicles of history and to see the truth of Jesus' word. He just didn't guess it. It actually happened. And again, going back to the fact that, that it is something that Jesus knew was coming to fulfill all that was written. It was in the hands of God for these things to happen. That people are gonna be persecuted. There's gonna be chaos within all of the, the world that is going on for these folks. But when you look at this chaos, we have to hold on, and he's trying to encourage the disciples and his listeners to hold on to the truths of his presence in the midst of us and and to give us some encouragement of how we respond in the midst of the chaos of our current world. So let's focus on that. For these disciples, this is their current world. This is the place that they're standing in, the city and, 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 and the temple that they're looking at. This current world around them is going to fall into chaos and destruction. But the presence of God is still in the midst of all of that chaos. So let's, let's point out of that. I want to draw out a few verses in the midst of all of these things that we can see the presence of Jesus in the midst of that chaos. Let's start in verse 13. So these guys are gonna throw some slides up. They're gonna show a chunk of a verse, but there's gonna be one that's highlighted right in the middle of that. So let's throw that first, uh, first verse up there, John. So you have all of this chaos that is happening. And in verse 13, we see this. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. This will be your opportunity to bear witness that God is gonna be with us and you're gonna be able to speak of the power and the truth and the joy and the peace of God in the midst of this chaos. That there's not just all of the world's falling down around you and there's nothing you could do. So you just get down and cover your heads. No, but stand up and speak of the words and the power and the glory of God. And I love an example of this. Peter's one of these guys that's listening to this. And we see in Acts later that amidst the chaos, like what is going on? How's this happening? We're being persecuted in church. What do we do now? Our savior, our Messiah is gone. He's not here any longer. And Peter stands up and he says, let me tell you the truth. And he bore witness of the gospel. And I put these stories together and I wonder if Peter's going, yeah, well, that's what Jesus told me to do. <laughs> and in all the goofiness of Peter and his, his decision-making throughout life that you know, wasn't always the sharpest thing that in that moment, he had a moment of clarity. He remembered Jesus's word that in the moment of the chaos, in the moment of the persecution, in the moment of everything around me seems like it's just falling apart. What's the, what's the worth of it all? That he stood up and he bore witness the presence of God giving you the strength to do that. Verse 14, the next slide. And then he goes on to settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand or to answer. So we have to give over this to the presence of Jesus to settle it. Hey, this is actually this idea of settling it just means don't prepare this big speech. Don't sit in front of the mirror and memorize everything you're going to say at that moment. I don't think G, uh, that Peter got in front in, in the book of Acts and he had this big speech memorized. I don't think he was walking through all of these moments of the, of the cross and of the, the resurrection and into the, the upper room and was just wondering and waiting for all the people to gather. It's like, I can't wait for my big moment. I've got it all. I've got it all memorized. This is a good one. This is the best one I've ever given. But Jesus is saying, trust in my presence. I'm gonna give you the moment to speak, to speak of, of the power of God. And in that, I'm also gonna give you the words. So be at peace, be at rest. 
And then we jump into verse 15. And it says this. For I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. We can prepare all we want. We can think about getting it memorized. We can think about cowering at the table, but in the moment, at the right moment, every word you need, God's gonna provide. Amidst your chaos and it's, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to respond, and I just feel like I just need to run to my closet and throw it all in there and just ignore it. I just need to run away and be gone from it. I just want it to be gone, but in that moment, if we trust in the presence of God, He's gonna give us everything we need to stand up and to, and to walk towards it, to, to speak out the truths of the gospel to our friends and our neighbors. And I don't even know if you feel this in your life, but you, I, okay, here's an example of Jason. When I fly places, I'm gonna be honest and, and I don't know if I'm ashamed of this or not. It's just a little bit of me and I'm, I'm just not the most social person. I mean, I love people, but you know, at the same time, they're people. And so I, I, I try to avoid people all at the same time. It's a weird thing to say as a pastor. I inherited that from my dad. He used to say that you know ministry would be a perfect job if it wasn't for money and for people. And so my dad's imagining being a pastor on a deserted island by himself with a few books in his Bible, and he'd be happy. But there's this point that people just, I'm hard, I'm difficult, right? Amen? Anyone? Hey, whoa. <laughs> whoa. All you people at home that said amen, Ryan Tao. Stop. But there's this idea, I get on a plane and the first thing that I do sometimes is because I realize that the number one question people ask you on a plane when they, they sit next to you is what? What do you do for a living? I don't want to tell you what I do for a living. Because if I tell you what I do for a living, then I actually have to tell you about the guy I work for and, and Jesus. And that means I have to get into this conversation. And who knows what you're going to tell me or how you're going to respond or what your background is. And so I get this little bit, I just don't even want to go there, right? And so I'll get into my seat. I'll open up a book that is not the Bible. Or I'll dive into that little magazine and I'll put my earbuds in and I'll just crank it up and I'll try to like go into my own little world. Admittedly, I do that. And the spirit works through me in that moment and oftentimes they take them out, be present, be aware. Because in those moments, I might have words for you. And I'll tell you, I do have stories when I've sat down and someone has asked me the fatal question, hey, what do you do for a living? And from time to time, I'll say, I'm a pastor. And the next thing you know, they're in a different aisle because they don't want to talk to me. But the next thing, sometimes they're always saying, hey, what does that mean? Like, what's it like being a pastor and, and to be able to unfold and tell them the story of God? And I never, even as a pastor for years, I, I don't really ever have the right words to say, I feel like. I don't know where to go with it. I just gotta trust the spirit, but he gives you that presence. He gives you his words. He's there with you. Verse 18, let's go to the next slide. It moves on to say this. But not a hair on your head will perish and I love this. You're going to be put to death, but not a hair on your head. Don't look at my bald head. Not a hair on your head will perish. I heard one commenter say that even if they were literally in this day cut off your head, they're not touching your hair. And I thought that was a, that's a funny comment on that. Like even if they were to, 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 to totally take your head off or dismember your body completely, your hairs are good because God's watching over you in that way. He's got you protected in that way. Verse 19, you can go to the next one. But your endurance will gain your lives. That as we stand in that strength with the presence of Jesus around us, that endurance, that strength to stand firm, which is something that God tells us throughout scripture to do, it will, it will bring us life. 
and that life is eternal, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's jump down to verse 27. And he writes in verse 27 that, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. That Jesus is there, not only he's going to prepare a place for us, this is another part of the story, but he's coming back because he loves us so much. He wants to be present with us. But even when he's gone, he's left us the Holy Spirit. And so we can look at in the midst of the chaos, we have the presence of God with us. Verse 28. Now, when all these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near that we have something to look forward to. So let's not hunker down and cover our heads. The presence of God with us gives us something to stand up and speak forth about. That we have the strength to something to look forward to because our redemption is drawing near. And finally, verse 33. And I love this. It's like the foundation of all of these things. The heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away that no matter what is happening in our world, no matter what temple is being brought down, no matter what uh, city and, and towers and strength that we felt like we had around us is stripped away, the words of God will not pass away. Everything around us might come crumbling, but God's word still stands secure for us. So if there's not a better part of this storyline to say we need to dive into God's word on a regular basis, because no matter what's going on around the world, in, in our little scope of life, this stands secure. This is a powerful place. This is something that, that will hold us strong in that. And I love that throughout these first section of these, these uh, passages and these words of Jesus, he leads us in verse eight, don't be led astray. Sometimes you can see all the chaos and someone's gonna come in and say, hey, follow me through the chaos. I've got the right words. I've got the right uh, little algorithm that'll get us through. Don't be led astray by the false teachers. Don't be led astray by those people that'll raise up their hands like, yeah, I, I, I'm the Messiah. I'm the guy. If you follow me, good things are gonna come. If you think the way I think, things are gonna be good. Don't fall for that. Hold on to the truth. Don't be led astray. Verse nine, he says, but, and don't be terrified. Don't be terrified. Even all, all these things are happening around you, and even though you're being persecuted and your family and your friends are coming after you, don't be terrified. Hold strong. And then in verse 14, when he's talking about when we get to that moment and you're sitting in that airplane seat and someone says, what's going on in this world? And, and hey, what do you do for me? What do you believe about all this is happening? Don't overthink it. Don't think through all of this stuff that's spinning around us and overthink it to a point to where it draws out of you fear. It draws out of you anxiety. It draws out of you the desire just to run and hide. Don't overthink it. Trust in the presence of Jesus in your life and in our world and stand firm and stand strong throughout it. Yep, things are gonna fall through. Yep, things are gonna fall apart. Yep, the things that we've seen built up, maybe things that we've been a part of might come crumbling down in our lives. But don't lose heart. Don't give up. And trust that in the presence of Jesus, you have the strength to endure. You have the strength to move through. So Jesus unfolds this for his listeners and his disciples. <laughs> and again, I still imagine being able to sit on that mountainside to look out over this temple and imagine that it coming down and what would people and what his listeners are thinking like, how, what? Isn't this what you've come for? Isn't it, you, haven't you come to, 
to take reign over this. And now you're telling me that it's all going to come crumbling. Now I'm really confused. We just walked you into this city and, and praised your name. And like, we're ready for this to, to happen. And we're ready. And you're just telling me it's all going to come crumbling down. And then basically, and, and from what my world seems like, that my life is over. I mean, you even say I, that some of us, maybe it's me, is going to be put to death. Like, where's the joy in this? Where's the hope in this? And he turns the page, literally, depending on your Bible. And he talks about his second coming. Which, if you look into the book of Revelation, his second coming is a, a, a pr pretty scary event. If you look at that book and you read the events around Jesus coming back to earth. But there's something calming in it as well. Even though the sun and the moon and the stars will, will see this, this stress upon our world, that seas and waves will run and, and they'll be fainting with fear and all this stuff is happening there. Heavens will be shaken. That in that moment, in all of that chaos, the Son of Man will be coming in the cloud with power and with glory. You know what he's coming for, folks? Us, his church. He's coming back to redeem that relationship, to bring us into his presence for all eternity. All the chaos and all the stuff going on around us, that right there is worth it. That right there is something that we can anticipate. That right there, that our world now in this, in this eventual moment, in this real time, might seem like it's so out of control, so falling apart. But we can anticipate that in coming, that Jesus is returning for us. He's returning to step into the chaos and rule and reign. And he's inviting us to do that with him. And I love that, that he doesn't just leave it off as like, yep, the temple and Jerusalem and everything you know is just going to crumbling down. But he leads them to look forward as well. To look far off in the distance and say, I'm coming back. Again, this is what is written. This is what I have. I haven't forgotten. A lot of people are trying to calculate when Jesus returns. And I don't know about you, I was in college and I was calling newspaper um, ads that talked about Jesus is coming back on June 18th and they gave all these verses and, and then a phone number. And so as a Bible student with all of my friends, we'd often call the phone number and start asking Bible questions. It was amazing how quickly they had no idea what to say. And it was just fun for us um, to mock, I guess, I, to be honest, I should ask forgiveness for that, I guess a mock at these people who really thought like we have it all nailed down. This is the time. This is it. They're trying to calculate. We can't calculate when Jesus is returning. We can only anticipate it. And scripture tells us that. Matthew 24, Matthew 25, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Peter 3, Revelation 16, all talk about it's going to come like a thief in the night. We're not going to know when Jesus will return, but we sure can anticipate it. When we look at all of our world and all of this stuff that seems falling apart, we're like, oh man, Jesus is coming back soon. And that may be true, but we don't know if it's gonna be that moment or the next year or the year after that, but we anticipate it. And we stay strong to what he's been encouraging his disciples that in those moments of chaos, stay strong. Don't be terrified. In the moment when you're called to give a witness for who I am, be strong because I'm gonna give you every word you need to do it. We have nothing to fear. Even when our world seems like it's, it's just broken. And the chaos around us is just too 
much. And praying for that peace is a beautiful thing. But running to hide in the closet isn't what we have the opportunity to do as believers. We get to be a light in the falling world. I would even suggest that we get to be a fortress in our falling world. That people can come to and understand the peace and the love and the glory of God. What he's done for them through the gospel, through his death and his resurrection. We're moving into in these next few weeks to celebrate Easter. Who are you thinking about to invite in to hear the story of the gospel? So that in a world that would you agree is pretty chaotic over this last year? that we can invite them in to experience and to know the peace of God, no matter what might be rumbling around in their lives. What fixtures and what, what failures they may feel in their life and their world is falling down. What fears that they've allowed to come up to the surface that they can push aside through the peace and the presence of Jesus, through his redemption and reconciliation of their opportunity to know him. And he tells this, this, this story of the fig tree to give us an understanding. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff happening, but I'm going, to, I'm going to give you some signs. But trust in this, that even though this is going to all pass away, my words will not. That what I speak stands secure and it's solid. So here's my question. And I love that sometimes we have to figure out and be creative with scripture about how we should respond as believers. Jesus just says it, starting in verse 34. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down. That burden of weight, don't get caught up in, in the things that can uh, medicate your pain and your fear. Watch yourselves. Take care of yourselves. Don't be caught up in the snare of lies in your life whether that's what the world's telling us or what your mind is creating for you, trying to get you to believe that, that the devil is trying to whisper in your ear saying, don't believe it. This is actually true. Watch and stay awake. Be aware of what's going on around you. If you're grounded in God's word and you're aware of what's going on around you, you will be able to stand firm in that process and pray. And pray in the midst of the moment, it just seems like that cliche things that we should do as Christians and believers, but don't let that become just a cliche, but actually fall to your knees and pray through what is going on around in our world. Be in response to the nature and the presence of God. Recognize that he's with you by having a conversation with him. And here's a thought from time to time. Stop talking and allow your prayer to be heard and from the voice of God speaking back to you. So it's not only talking. Actually, I had a guy in our life group send a message out to our guys this morning that prayer is a reality of also talking, but then listening. So how much do we spend time saying, Lord, you know everything that's going on around me. But Lord, speak to me and what you have for me and what you need me and you do. What are you calling me towards as a believer? So our response to all of the chaos, all the stuff that's going on in the world, his response, uh, and he's calling out his disciples to follow even in these moments and anticipating what is to come in his return, anticipating and knowing that chaos in the world is right here, right now, that we, we are watching ourselves, we're guarding ourselves against lies, against wandering, 
against falling away from the fellowship believers. We're staying awake. We're being aware of what's there so we don't get caught or tripped up by something that we just don't see coming, but we're falling on our knees and praying so that we can stand firm in Jesus that is coming. One of the uh, passages of scripture that has meant so much to me over the years, um, it was read at my grandmother's funeral, and I think that was probably my first experience of it. Um, The Lord gave it to me for a camp one year that I was leading and just it was a, such a powerful year that we saw 36 kids come to know Jesus, like 28 of them got baptized all in that one week. And it was just a passage the Lord gave me at the beginning of the week that I need you to pray this over every kid every day of the, of the week. And I did. And it's just been something that has stood out to me. And so I want to I wanna read this as a prayer for us as a church, Psalm 91. And so I wanna ask you guys, if you're in the room, even if you're at home and you're daring, to stand up as we read the word of God. I was reading in my own personal journey um, in, in, in the book of uh, Ezra where, uh, or Nehemiah where the Ezra brings the word and all the people stood at the reading of God's word. And there's this response of worship that followed and that's my heart right now. That within all the chaos, with all the stuff that's going on around us, that we hold to the truth that we don't have to be afraid that we can stand in confidence of the presence of God with us and what he's doing. And Psalm 91, I just really believe, speaks to that. So it's gonna be on the screens, but maybe you just wanna hear it, just close your eyes and hear the truths of the psalm, the presence of God and what he's gonna do for us. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked is punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, If you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. I love this. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Let's worship together.